Welcome to the Possibility Action Network podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Middleton, a.k.a. Possibility Man. We're committed to bringing you guests who strive to better people's lives and serve as a force for good in the world. Our guest today is Thomas Miller. He is a family and parenting coach, and he serves clients of all ages. He is a licensed clinical social worker. Thomas, welcome to the show today. So glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, look, I'm looking forward to our conversation. But first, a reminder to our listeners and our viewers, follow, like, and share this podcast wherever you find it. Your support matters and is appreciated. Thomas, man, I'm so glad to be able to meet today. Uh, I've been battling COVID. I'm not sure if you've had that experience <laughs> or not, but <laughs> it's not fun. Yeah, it is not fun. I have had that experience yeah. uh, far too many times, unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to surely um, have a great conversation about what you do. And I, I tell you, I've been looking forward to talking with you just because of the world and because of all of the things that happen all over the globe, you know, in relationships and families between countries and the like. My first question to you, though, is why did you choose social work? Oh, wow. That is the like the OG question. Um you know the 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 quick and easy answer is uh, you know want want to serve you know want to make an impact. Um, why I still do I guess is probably a better answer. This work, uh, having done it since 1999, at least when I entered social work the field, um, is because I love you know seeing people dig deep, lean in. Big fan of uh, people getting in the arena right and having agency mm -hmm. to make a powerful shift happen in their life. So um, it's a it's a done with you sort of service, if you will, rather than a done for you service. So I love the idea of uh, each and every client is unique and different. And um, we have every client has a different starting point. But I, I love helping, you know, again, clients step into courage and, and lean in and call out of their own unique situation, um, you know, an opportunity. So yeah. yeah, I like that, Richard. I like that response. Hey, look, you know, sometimes people choose a profession and they draw from some of their own adversities and experiences. And I'm just curious, you know, what about you, yourself? Have you had any experience in adversity that really called you towards social work? Yes. Yeah, I think I think <laughs> I think everybody in this field has a has a personal reason. I mean, I, I like to believe I'm altruistic. Um in my approach, but of course, we all have a unique, uh, I wouldn't even call it selfish, but personal reason. So in high school, I definitely endured um, a lot of bullying because I was very athletic. Um, I played soccer, I played uh, in college, got a you know soccer scholarship, but I also was very artistic. So back in the 90s, uh, um, you know, you couldn't be, you, you couldn't be athletic and into art, you couldn't, you had to be one or the other. And, and, uh, you know, homophobia was, was very much, you know, uh, alive and well, uh, in my experience. So that was definitely, uh, one of the things that was a motivator for me is to try to make kind of macro change, right. And to help, uh, people who are struggling, of course, with, uh, systemic racism or systemic homophobia or systemic issues. And then also, of course, I have, um, you know, family patterns that, uh, 
uh, you know, uh, definitely have motivated me to take a look at how can I, right, set my family up for success and how can I help other families? Uh, there is no, as you know, perfect family. Every single family yeah. is a dysfunctional family, um, you know, and, and, you know, generational, everything is a lot of times generational, generational trauma, right, generational mm -hmm. patterns. So uh, taking a look at from a micro and macro perspective, you know, of my family. Yeah, there's, there's, that was very motivating to try to, mm -hmm. you know, help other families as well, maybe, you know, level up or, or 10x themselves, right? So my personal yeah. experience, and of course, I have, um, my, my father died uh, in a very traumatic way, uh, when I was oh, 28, uh, which is not, that was, I was already in the field. But of course, you ask, what adversities have I had? Um, I think it is a full contact sport life, right? So, yeah. um, mm -hmm. So of course, all those things are helpful, um, but I don't believe you have to have gone through the same iconic experience as your clients. I mean, mm -hmm. I've worked with uh, people of you know communities of color. I've I'm not gay or lesbian, uh, and you know in terms of my identification, I identify as straight. I'm married, um, but yet I was the director of a gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgendered mm -hmm. um, a program for youth, um, which again has to do with you know kind of the parallel mm -hmm. of my high school experience and trying to help, you know, kids learn, right. Without having mm -hmm. the external factors of, yeah. of, uh, 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 you know, that, that rob them of that educational experience. So, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, I yeah. wouldn't say everything I've done is, is correlated to my life, but of course, I mean, how you, you wouldn't be, I don't think a good human or a good therapist or a good friend or a good father or a good, human right yeah. if you didn't yeah. if you didn't draw in a good way right from your own experiences yeah. i got you look you just yeah. unloaded a lot in that kind of comment yeah i'm going to come back to that and i'm going to help try to unpack some of it because some there's some gems there if you don't get to all of it today we'll have to come back for another conversation because you just sure 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 just blew away there but look sure. I, but your focus though your passion as i read you is around parenting and and children and why that uh, well, as you know, someone who's been treating folks since licensed since 2002, I always feel like I get to see what the evolution of, say, this this issue or this this symptom is going to be. So I've worked with, of course, tons of people who are are uh, older population, um, but the fact that you can get in there, if you will, right, and help mm -hmm. the families. Uh, create a culture, I'm a big culture guy, culture wins championships, right? So uh, I believe that family culture really is is a huge uh, determinant, right, of obviously the epigenics, so to speak, or the yeah. expression of so much. And so to help families, you know, be able to co-regulate with their child or exhaust certain maladaptive patterns or not be codependent, right? Uh, not be laissez-faire, you know, uh, really help uh, parents have situational awareness, you know, really understanding like each and every child in each and every situation requires a different tact and tone. Um, that's really exciting, right? Because we're dealing with mm -hmm. the trajectory of that family and or that that child. And I see so many families, even if the child is successful or goes to uh, a treatment program or therapeutic school, you know, if the family is not careful, they'll recapitulate back to all of those dynamics. So helping the family mm -hmm to stay well and stay up and, and, and hold on to the gains is, is really exciting to me. You know, yeah. I tell you what, I'm so glad you work with families and children because uh, as I've aged and matured, let me ask the question this way is, is a healthy family, a gateway 
to health and happiness in other areas of life. Yeah, I mean, it's not to, not to say, not yes. I mean, it's not to say that, you know, people I've worked with, tons of people, of course, who come from, again, I think every family has an element of dysfunctionality, but incredibly dysfunctional, entrenched, um, you know, uh, family dynamics. And of course, they have leaned in and done an amazing job to call out of, you know, uh, to declutter some of those um, norms that, that were given to them. But yes, if you're coming from a healthy culture, you're going to be that much more, you know, able to raise your hand in class, right? You think about a child who comes from uh, a situation that's, whether it's a foster system adoption, or there's any kind of attachment difficulties, you know, is that child going to be that much more apt to advocate for themselves? They're not going to want to be seen or be heard, or they're going to be hyper- hyper aroused and so being seen or heard too much right so yes mm -hmm. absolutely attachment and culture i think really is a great you know framework or foundation right to set any kid up for success so that's and, what i try to help yeah. family families do yeah 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 and, and and not only i'm sure you not only set the kid up for success but also it may foster a degree of uh happiness and content contentment with parents right Having absolutely a nucleus that works yeah absolutely i mean there's so many parents that feel guilty because unconsciously or even consciously um, they don't like who their child's become and their child, if you will, is a, is a Frankenstein, if you will, of their creation. And so, mm -hmm. you know, the first thing we have to do is, or I have to do with families is like help them, you know, feel whatever they feel and normalize that it's okay to, of course, yeah. they all love their children, of course, but it's okay to also like be annoyed at your child or feel yeah. guilty that you feel annoyed at your child or, uh, internally even want to ignore ignore or avoid your child but how do we get over that and then how do we begin to brick by brick right little by little micro habit by micro habit begin to make shift and my favorite thing is you know when a family is able to stand amidst their child's storm in a much more unflappable way and to become the mm. master of their emotions to then model the way forward for their child even yeah. if their child's behavior is still not you know uh, super regulated yet it's right. we have to start with the parent because as you yeah. know if if the parent is not you know able to model right uh, that's only going to exacerbate that child's anxiety and and, and make right. things worse yeah that that's for sure hey look yeah. um yeah I, I view i view people like yourself you know as light workers you mental health mm. professionals you you know because you help us so much so i want to look at mental health broadly now, I know that you know. Okay. I'm not asking you to examine the whole world, but you know, yeah, just, yeah. just just play along with me. So, when I thought about our conversations, you know, people are up against some things, and I want to list a few some a few things that I think people are up against, and just kind of give us your take on what people okay. are dealing with. Okay, all right. The yeah. first thing that I think a lot of people struggle with is anxiety. What what causes this in our culture today, and what are some things that people can do about it? Huge macro question. Um, I like it, uh, you know, uh, broad to narrow. Um, I think there's so many sources. I will just speak to, of course, with teens, particularly uh, the impact of social media, right? I mean, you have um, children are being exposed to lifestyles all over the world now, right? When I was growing up, my exposure level, if you will, was the kids on my block, you know, and, and, and every year my 
radius, if you will, or geographic, you know, space got bigger, maybe a few blocks, right? You could go a little bit further. Now, the fact that a child, you know, living in whatever state in the U.S. could be comparing themselves to a child in another state, uh, and and that creates a lot of anxiety because there's so much comparative analysis going on Mm -hmm. where kids are feeling less than, right? And so many kids are comparing themselves to somebody else who's deeper into their story. I see this a lot with young adults too. I, I work with a lot of families that have the classic failure to launch. They withdrew from college because they weren't a billionaire. You know, they didn't have a Bugatti. They don't have it all figured out, you know, being sort of exaggerated, but believe me, it's there. I mean, when you look at some entrepreneur who's posting on Instagram at 21 and is, you know, looks like they have the world at their feet and then you're struggling with, even just how do you get out of bed? It, that's very difficult, right? So I, I'm not saying that's the only uh, reason, but just to point to a very concrete one. And what can people do? Well, they can begin to take a hard look at what they can and cannot control. So one of the first exercises I do with anyone is draw a circle, write down all the things in the circle that you actually can control. And that's everything from your breath to your thoughts to whether you go outside for a 20-minute walk. Uh, just the other day, I said to a client, you know, can you do six push-ups? They were like, no, I can't do six push-ups. I'm like, bull crap. I know you can do six push-ups. Come on, let's go. Sure enough, they did not. You know what I mean? So even as simple mm-hmm. as like nine push-ups doesn't make you an ultra marathoner or doesn't make you an elite athlete, but that's nine more push-ups than them spinning. So another thing I think that's very important is concrete behavioral solutions for people with anxiety, because a lot of people will analyze, analyze, paralyze. And as you know, right, when you're in your head all the time, you're not really in your body. And it only allows some of those fear-based narratives to gestate further. So even as simple as meeting someone for coffee is 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 a is a step in a positive direction. Obviously, going mm-hmm. to an AA meeting if you struggle with, you know, addiction or NA, whatever that is. Um, so I, I think that the easy thing is to try to keep your world a little bit you know, not as bombarded by social media and the comparative analysis. And then also look at, again, what do you control today? And it may be as simple as put your foot on the next right rock, you know, or avoid that relationship that's toxic or unhealthy, set a boundary there, or be more open to a, you know, community-based resource. So just availing yourself, I think, in real time can immediately do wonders for anxiety. Mm -hmm. I like it. Yeah. Another one that occurs to me is depression. And I'm telling you, I live mm-hmm. in South Carolina and I'm around a lot of people. Uh, and it seems like depression is just running rampant. Mm. You know, mm. uh, gosh, what's going on? Depression. Why are we mm. so depressed? Again, huge questions. I think, I, I think uh, you know, if you're, if you're isolating, right? I mean, that's, that's, not going to help. Right. So Mm. I'm a big fan again of lifestyle. I really believe lifestyle is not the cause of every disease, but as we know, from a medical standpoint, it's the cause of a high percentage of most diseases. So, you know, to break that isolation, you know, whether it's, we know from the research, right, whether it's petting a dog, right. uh, Increases our mood endorphins are released, right. When we, when we exercise, you know, Uh, when we laugh, right? So of course, someone who's depressed can avail themselves of therapy and they can work on, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy or Mm -hmm. mindfulness work or other kinds of 
very evidence-based modalities as well as they can obviously avail themselves of psychiatry, but also looking at other holistic modalities from yoga to acupuncture to movement. But again, even just, I'm just a big fan of like, keep it simple. Um, I mean, I believe food is medicine. I believe sleep is yeah. medicine. Um, I think that's a big one too. I mean, I, especially with teens and young adults, I see so many teens that are not regulated uh, in terms of their sleep cycles. And mm. if you're not sleeping, then you're not replenishing those neurotransmitters. So you could be on the highest dose of an antidepressant if you're not sleeping, right? You're not able to replenish those those stores mm. of norepinephrine, serotonin, um, you know, or dopamine. So yeah, I, when I work with people, it's very much like, what can we do today? W yeah. What would make this better by this <laughs> afternoon? Um, so everyone's situation is unique. Um, and I do think, yes, there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of depression in the world. Mm -hmm. And I do think people need to, again, really stop comparing themselves to the next person yeah. and really focus on what, what they have endured or what they are mm -hmm. overcoming or what they can mm -hmm. do and, and try to take power back over like a fatalistic yeah. worldview. Yeah. You know, I really like what you have to say, because what you remind me of is that, you know, there, there are things that we can do. That is, if a person mm -hmm. is depressed and they feel there's nothing that I can do, mm -hmm. but what I've heard you say is that there's something that you can do. Something, maybe in my case, could be as simple as, hey, I'm going to call someone who I know likes me. Sure. Know, and have a nice absolutely. conversation. So, yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. I, agree. I mean, even the idea of when someone says I'm depressed, one of the things I like asking sometimes is how depressed, like on a scale of one to 10, you know, it's like, or someone who has OCD, you know, Yes, you have OCD, you're struggling with obsessional thinking and intrusive mm -hmm. thoughts, but believe it or not, this afternoon, your OCD might not be so bad, or your depression, believe it or not, might be worse than it was yesterday, but it might actually be better than it was four weeks ago. So things mm -hmm. do move. And I think what happens is people get in this like chronic paradigm or worldview, you know, and even just changing again, the narrative, whether it's a new mantra, catching a, an old, uh, ineffective mm -hmm. thought, you know, replacing mm -hmm. that with a new um, more positive thought, a hundred percent can make it done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I, 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 uh, I'm an old man. I've lived a long time. <laughs> what I've come to learn is that one mind that, that can't be trusted is a mind that's not thinking right. <laughs> you're, just, mm. you're already depressed yeah. and you're trying to make an appraisal of yourself. Sure. You trust that mind, right? Uh, Thomas. A hundred percent. That's a great point. I mean, and then if you add on top of that, that mind that, is not sleeping or that mind that might be self-medicating with drugs or alcohol, right? You're dealing with an impaired brain, um, mm -hmm. you know, which is why when I'm coaching families that have a loved one who has co-occurring issues, right? Like mental health and substance abuse, um, you know, it's amazing how much value they'll give to what that person will say. And again, I'm not in any way encouraging people to not care what their loved one says, but when someone's in active addiction, it's, it is not a rational thought process, right? Which is oh, why we gosh. do have to have as parents, what I call gift of command, you know, parenting, I always say, I'm a big fan of listening to my kids and giving them voice and choice, but it is not a democracy. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I like, you. It, you know what I mean? Like it's, it, we can negotiate, we could talk, we could barter, but I need to be, you know, appropriately here and they need to be here. Um, uh -huh. So it's amazing how, how, parents almost over elevate um, yeah. their children. And, and that again, yeah. can actually be anxiety provoking to the child. Yeah, I, I like that. Well, that's a, that's a lot there too. We'll come back to that though. But let me go, go back to my list because back in the nineties, 
social phobia, maybe still is, but social phobia was a big topic of conversation. Oh, yeah. Is that still going on? Do people still talk about social phobia and people write books about that? Oh, big time. I mean, I have like CEOs that struggle with uh, more on the performance side. You know what I mean? They're, oh. they're, you know, they're, they're not, it's not so much that they can't interact with a person on a day in a day out basis, but, mm. but absolutely. There's a lot of people around, you know, performance anxiety around public speaking, etc. cetera. Um, and then of course, one of the worst things you could do, which I have so many families this way that reach out to me after these things have really um, become giant sized is let's say a child had a, uh, they were bullied or there was uh, a negative traumatic experience or just mm. they faced some adversity and next thing you know, that family's homeschooling and I'm not anti-homeschool, just be clear. But in this case, it's not healthy because now you're trying to take down the symptoms that have been able to brood for, let's say, mm -hmm. six months, nine months, a year. I mean, I had a family not that long ago where they removed their, their child for about two years from school. Mm -hmm. Now you're trying to go back to that same environment to face that same stimulus so much harder. So mm -hmm. yes, there's a lot of evidence-based modalities for social phobia mm -hmm. from again, mindfulness, exposure work, again, counter behavioral. Um, there's a lot of opportunities and application and the family can be really helpful to, mm -hmm. again, challenge that child, not again, in a forceful way, but in a supportive emotional way to lean in, right? Yeah. To some of these things that would be challenging. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm going to leave my list for a moment, and I want you to look now at your specialty, parents and children for a little while. We will come back to, to my list. Um, you've already mentioned that there's a degree of dysfunction in many families. Mm -hmm. um, is that just the way it is, or, or what? I mean, why, why, why did you say that? <laughs> you ask these really good questions. Um, I think that's the way it is. I mean, I think... I think uh, number one, parenting is, is are you, I don't know if you're, are you a parent? Yes, I am. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it is the hardest job in the world. And as much as there is so many more uh, resources now than there ever was, which is great. Um, you know, in times of stress, what do we do? We default back on these things, right? And as you know, right, when our midbrain is, is uh, firing our limbic systems in overdrive and we're in that fight or flight, right, uh, or freeze, uh, we're not the most effectual parents. So, you know, we've all, myself included, um, as many tools as I have, and I use them often, which that I give to families, it's moments I have that because stressed mm. out. So I, I think that uh, that's actually on some level, in a weird way, helpful to a lot of parents. I see a lot of parents that are trying to be like the Pinterest or perfect Instagram yeah. family, and they, they're removing themselves from being innate or organic, if that makes sense. Like, yes, there are ancient wisdom. Yes, there is some new thinking and we should merge the two. Um, but this idea of like being a robotic mom or dad, I don't think is healthy for a kid. So, and I always tell families like myself included, I will go to my kids and be like, let's just start the day again. Like, let's yeah. just start again, that's you know, right. like hundred percent, my bad. Like, yeah, you know, I, I, I use the oops and ouch. It's like the most basic yeah. thing in the world. Like uh, if my kid says something, I'll just be like, ouch, like that hurt, man. Yeah. Like that was pretty rough. <laughs> that's an opportunity for him to be like my bad. Right. And he may or may not do that. I have two, two boys. There's tons of times I have to go to my kids and be like, look, my bad. I totally like 
kind of came in over the top or I, or I, uh, I didn't kind of give you an opportunity to redeem yourself. You know what I mean? I went mm -hmm. to the nuclear option. So, so again, I, yes, families are, have an element of dysfunctionality. And again, I I've worked with the gamut. I mean, there's tons of families mm -hmm. that, you know, we're talking chaotic, you know, mm -hmm. all kinds of substance abuse and bipolarity and whatever mm -hmm. else. But then again, just the typical family, I think, is an element of dysfunctionality. And anybody who wants to be growth oriented should be open to being like, we're pretty good, but how do we go to great? And then yeah. that's those are the families I love working with. Right. Is yeah. but I'll work with the families that are mired in the yeah. uh, deep in the in the in the trenches, too, of course, every day. But it's nice when you're not functioning from trauma and you're mm -hmm. trying to think about growth, you know. Yeah. You know, I like it that when you, when you talk about your children and I've seen it elsewhere where you've written or spoken, uh, your, your, your ability to be transparent. It's like, here's what I get from you. It's like, I'm human. You know, I can be a human. Yeah. And boy, that seems so healthy for a kid to see a yeah. parent who can be a human. Sure. Yeah. 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 I agree. Yeah. Here's something else I want to throw at you. You will laugh at me on this one. But I'm mm -hmm. going to take you to, I'm going to make it biblical for just a moment. This is not about religion, but it's biblical, okay? If you, if you think of God as a parent, you know, the God in the Bible, Old Testament as a parent, mm -hmm. God had a son, Adam, mm -hmm. then God had a dysfunctional family from the start. Mm -hmm. What do you think about mm -hmm. that? Am I nuts to look at it that way? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think, I think uh, first off, uh, whether someone's religious or not religious, uh, there's there's value in looking at, of course, the Bible in any any situation to to glean from. Um, I mean, I actually used to be way back when was a youth minister, so I, 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 I'm pretty steeped in you know looking at, at at different biblical stories and 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 I I think I I think the thing there is like there's a lot of creation and decreation in the Bible. I think that's an easier way of thinking about it. like God's like, hey, here's this cool thing, and then we mess it up. You know, and it's like, hey, here's this cool thing. We mess it up. Right. So I do think there is there is a lot of uh, opportunity for for lack of a better word. I think redemption in the Bible. I do think yeah, there's yeah. a lot of I do think there's a message of hope there um, yeah. that we're not doomed forever, you know, and uh, and that we're very fallible people. Um, yeah. And we and we need to me, we need you know, guides, we need mirrors. I need mirrors held up on me. I need, I need community. I need accountability partners. I love constructive feedback. You know, people that are defensive, you know, are some of the most insecure people in the world. Right. So what's yeah. up with that? Right. That's something for yeah. them to look at. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. So we've already established that, you know, there's some dysfunction in most families. I won't say all most families. Let me ask you, Thomas, what are some things that parents are up against. Now, let me just preface it before you mm -hmm. answer. Heck, we become parents without a manual. We're just parents. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we buy a car, we mm -hmm. get a manual, but we just become parents. What are some things that parents are up against? Oh my God. I mean, I think I think now uh, it's very hard. Again, I just will go back to social media. I'm not anti-social media. I do think you can help your child navigate social media, but like with anything, you know, we we have to help our kids, you know, monitor the dosage of social media. And I think parents now, number one, um, how the next person is parenting, um, their kids' friends. Um, I think that parents have become weak. I mean, that's just the mm -hmm. quick and easy answer. I think as a whole, 
parenting, I've never seen parenting be weaker. I think there is way too much mollycoddling and there's way too much. Uh, again, there's like these extremes where you have, you still have, of course, the attached family, of course, that's just, there's not a really great uh, attachment there. But the level of enmeshment and codependency that I see is beyond anything I've ever seen. This idea of families trying to create an outcome for their child and not letting their child face adversity is really challenging. And I think when that's being normalized, which it is, that is hard for the parent like myself and my wife mm -hmm. and other people who are like, wait a minute, you know what I mean? Like we, we want our kids to feel uncomfortable. We want our kids to feel, I'm not talking trauma, but I'm talking mm -hmm. this idea of trying to, uh, you know, wipe away any potential barrier or adversity, I think is very problematic. And I think that's very normalized right now. And I do think that is very much being popularized. So I do think that's a factor that's very challenging for these parents that are truly parenting, you yeah. know, that are standing up against that and being like, yes, we want our kids to feel safe, but we don't want to remove every single speed bump or every single issue that our child will ever face. In fact, that's right. doing them a disservice. Yeah. You know, can we as parents create champions for thinking of um Tiger Woods's father or Denise and Venus Williams, you know, father, they, you know, you know what I mean? So do can we do that as parents or is our job simply to expose and nourish and see what happens? Um, I think again, I would just say culture. I think we could bring a culture, we could build the best culture that the ROI of that culture, mm -hmm. right, could be the champion, if you will. I mean, uh, I don't know how much you know about Tiger Woods' upbringing, but it's not all good, <laughs> you know, in that sense. Like, yes, he helped him be who he is, you know, in terms of golf, but there was also some pretty negative modeling there too. Um, mm -hmm. So it depends on what are we trying to achieve or what is even the rubric of what a champion is. I, I would like to say that we as parents can absolutely create a safe, deep connection with our kids that fosters resiliency and we can be accompanying them through their journey without again jumping into the arena and fighting every battle for them but also without being aloof and I, again i see these extremes where you have you know the the mother or father who is working 75 hours a week and yeah. they've exported parenting to somebody else um or then i see these uh families that are you know, uh, so codependent and enmeshed that the child then again is in their own snow globe and not able to kind of kind of do that. So I think we could build a culture that again is about witnessing and honoring the child's mm -hmm. emotional life and letting, but without again having it to be a parallel process to what we experience. I think so many families over-identify with their kids' success and or failures. Mm -hmm. And I think again, if you create a healthy, safe, connected fail forward culture. That's a big thing I'm a fan of is helping yeah. kids fail forward. Then they are a champion or they'll become yeah. a champion. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I got you. That's great. Yeah. You know, feeling safe, that seems to be so important, not only for children, but for parents. But I want to ask you this about children. How can we help children feel safe in a, in a world sometimes that's not yeah. safe? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> I, I think, I think it starts with, uh, allowing and normalizing whatever it is they feel. And, and it's funny, a lot of families who are old school that I work with that you know didn't have the ability, they weren't given the, 
the space to express their feeling. It was more seen and not heard, um, you know, that childhood. Um, they think sometimes validating that a kid's feelings is not, I always say, it's not authenticating their actions, if that makes sense. So if a kid is like, I can't stand this kid in school, I'm having a really hard time with this teacher. It doesn't mean you're like, yeah, go cut class or like, it's okay, you hit that kid. It's just like, yeah. that's that sounds hard. That sounds really challenging, but we can still hold the line and hold them accountable at the same time. Yeah. So yeah. I think to create safety is, is many things. I do think it's validating the child's emotional world. I also think it's having parameters. Again, I see a lot of families that they don't have clear parameters for that child. And that again is they're almost what's called parentifying that child. They're making the elevating yeah. that child to a parent status, which is very anxiety provoking. So you need to couch your kid's world appropriately. It shouldn't be too, mm -hmm. too small, but it shouldn't be too, too big. And it should be again, based on their age, their development, and also what they can and cannot handle. Mm -hmm. Gosh, it, just, it seems like, um, you know, what you're saying to me is that, look, you know, uh, the child is growing up as a child. But as a parent, you'll have to mature and grow and develop mm -hmm. yourself uh, yes. in order to you know, yes. raise a healthy child. Yeah. And every kid's different, which is so hard, right? Like what worked with one kid does not work with the mm -hmm. next. And what worked last year doesn't work, you know, th this month. Um, so, yes, absolutely. You have to hit the refresh button all the time as a parent. Yeah. You know, you've mentioned social media already. And I want to... I want you to talk more about the kinds of things that children are up against, because you know, we've talked about the things that parents are up against, but gosh, children are up against some stuff in this life as well. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I mean, I don't, where did, where you grew up in South Carolina, you said? Yes. Uh -huh. So, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, grew up yeah. in, I grew up in rural South Carolina. Right. So sticks. you're, so I didn't grow up in the sticks, but, but again, I would assume that your childhood was similar where, you know, there was always maybe that kid who had a little bit more than the next kid. And maybe there's that's a kid right. a little less, but hey, it wasn't. Thomas, it wasn't that's for sure. <laughs> right. But it wasn't, but I'm saying it wasn't, it wasn't that your exposure was to millions and millions of lifestyles. I mean, the fact that a child is is watching some influencer who is a multimillionaire, mm -hmm. you know, do this or talk about this or that, that it has no reference point to their local experience, but that's the child. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what kids are up against. So, Again, there's such a overexposure of it's almost too much information for children to process. And then that turns them into, well, I'm not good. Right. Yeah. And then the idea of why would I even start on this journey? Because I'm never going to get to that versus like I'm always saying to kids or adults, like you're running your own race. Like as long as you yeah. beat you beat you of like last month, you've won. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. just can we just be better than we were six months ago? Like, great, you know, versus like trying to be whoever the perfect, you know, role model person is, you know? Um, so I think kids have that. There's too much exposure, too much, too much options. And then again, like we talked about already, if parents are not couching their world appropriately mm -hmm. and helping them realize that they shouldn't, they should have, again, I'm a big fan of, you know, voice and choice, empowering kids to have, Mm -hmm. appropriate amount of uh of input but no they shouldn't be just deciding you know every little thing and and what are we having for dinner tonight well i actually prefer yeah, this yeah. and i prefer that yeah. and i don't want that and I it's like you yeah. know you could be like do you want potato or sweet potato do you want yeah. carrots or do you want you know broccoli that's cool but it shouldn't be this child is that 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 empowered right um you know yeah 
you know, I, you know, I tell you, um, you got me thinking about the social media thing because I had an experience just last week. I'll talk, I'll be, and I, I'm sure kids face the same kind of thing. I was doing some social media stuff and I saw a couple of youngsters in their mid 20s and then already millionaires. Sure. I said, wait a minute. How did they do that? Right. <laughs> I'm not right. to look exactly. at myself. What's the matter about Exactly. Exactly. You know, so yeah. children can also compare. 100%. 100%. I mean, uh -huh. and there's nothing wrong with you and myself as well. I have a personal brand too, so. wanting to learn and be growth oriented. And how did they do that? And let me try to learn those mechanisms because successful people do leave breadcrumbs. But where it gets unhealthy is like I'm a piece, you know, I'm a piece of yeah. garbage because I'm not that thing. And again, uh, and that again, the level of exposure is so big. It's just so big. And then with Snapchat, this idea of anonymity. When in fact nothing's really anonymous because people screenshot, mm -hmm. and then the cyberbullying is a huge issue that kids are up against, yeah. and everything mm -hmm. is documented. Like, I don't know about you, but I did some dumb crap as a kid. That thank God there was no phones, you know, <laughs> that were also uh, recording right. devices. You know, like yeah. I have, I have a very small footprint, thank God, in terms of mm. my childhood. You know what I mean? But like mm -hmm. everything you do is documented these days as a child. Yeah. It's crazy, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Thomas, you know, that's, um, I'm thinking about this subject here, like, okay, you know, we got all of this stuff going on, there is some dysfunction, we got social media, but how, now, how can a parent, parent from confidence, right? as opposed, because, right. you know, a lot of other stuff will seep in, right, Thomas, like limiting beliefs about it, but how can yeah. they parent from confidence? That's a, I mean, that's a great question and a great point. And I would say that's what I do is that I help mm. families, as I was saying earlier, be unflappable amidst their child's storm. So mm. if you're, if there's a storm happening, but you could hear your own voice and you can know, this is why I'm on this path. And this is my North star. My North star is helping this child become more resilient. Well, if they're falling apart, because I said, no, that they, they can't go to that party because you don't really trust the parents at that house and there's poor supervision. You know what I mean? That, that, that's helpful. Or even just yesterday I was working with this family who the child is grieving um, the loss of a loved one and they're fighting the inclination, which I'm helping them to, to, you know, basically seed ground to whatever this child's impulses are now, because they are grieving and they, they've lost, um, uh, an actual, you know, real person. And that's mm. sad and horrible. But the last thing we want is a grieving child that's now entitled. So how do you, yeah. you know, honor their grief, but hold these, these boundaries. Um, yeah. And when parents are able to know, here's why I'm doing what I'm doing. It makes mm. all the difference because versus I'm just going to throw a bunch of stuff against the wall and see what sticks and not really mm -hmm. be able to even evaluate if it's effective. Mm -hmm. So I help families, I, I give them 23 years of clinical experience, I yeah. back it up to their doorstep and give them a, a done with you process um, that we go on a journey from basically current situation, right, to higher functioning, healthier functioning, yeah. healthier culture. Yeah. Sounds good to me. I like I yeah. like what you do. Right? I like what you do for sure. Well, thank you. Uh, one last question for now, and because I, I think I got to bring you back maybe mm -hmm. 2025 because there's so mm -hmm. much beyond getting to. Um, but my last question is this, because, you know, we want kids to be healthy and confident. How do we grow self-esteem in children? How do we do that? Uh, that's such a good question. I mean, I would say if you could do anything ever, you know, as a parent, it would be that, right? Because self-esteem, 
actually doesn't mean they get a trophy. Self-esteem doesn't mean they've won. Self-esteem doesn't mean they have every outcome. Self-esteem is that they are impervious, right, to the wins and the losses. And, and I think what we could do there, of course, is helping our kids not have an inner critic. A lot of kids I work with who are very like type A or perfectionistic will be like hitting themselves with the shame stick every time they mess up. Mm -hmm. So you could help to change that to be, again, more resilient and less uh, outcome-based. Um, you also can help kids help self-esteem by encouraging them toward whatever their passions are. I mean, there's tons of kids that are not traditional learners, but are incredibly Yeah. intelligent. You know, just because Yeah. you're not getting an A plus in school doesn't mean you're not incredibly, you know, uh, intelligent. So if a kid is into something that's different than your childhood, join, get excited about that, whether it's, you know, karate or it's ceramics or it is athletics or it's hiking or it's yoga, whatever that is. So helping, helping a child to really be passionate I think a passion is one of the most important things because Yeah. so many people that don't have a passion are more apt, right, to be depressed. Um, and when you care about your guitar or you care about, you know, your soccer team or whatever that is, even if you're like dealing with anxiety and depression, it's still forces you to think about something bigger than yourself. So helping kids
Yeah, well, thank you. You've been you're, listening. You're, yeah, look, this has been a joy. Thank you, sir. Well, you've been listening to the Possibility Action Network podcast. Our guest today has been Thomas Miller. I'm your host, Stephen Middleton. Until next time, good day 